Welcome everybody to Creekside Church. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? Have a seat. Who's excited that Christ has won the victory for us? Yeah, that's what we like to hear. Hey, it is Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. And you know what? As, as it's Memorial Day, we think we pause for a moment to think about all the people who have sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom in this country. Um, but it really should make us think mostly about the fact that Jesus sacrificed himself, gave up his own life for our ultimate freedom in Christ. Amen about that? Amen. I want to read this scripture to you. Um, we're going to get ready uh, to just continue in worship and come with our hearts before Jesus. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. As I read this scripture, I want you to, to focus on, on the words that are big. Remember our great God who has redeemed us. Um, so I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And as we continue in worship, we're going to take our offering. Um, and if you're, if you're a guest, um, you are our guest, you can just let that pass. Um, but we want, to, uh, we want to be found giving with joyful and sincere hearts, whatever God has led us uh, to give back to him out of our abundance. Um, so just close your eyes as we set our hearts to worship our King. Um, who has redeemed us, our great God. Psalm 77, verse 11 says this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Abraham, or the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. And we have peace because we are redeemed in you this morning, God. So we thank you for that. I pray that as we worship, this would just be a sweet aroma to you, your people's hearts before you. We come as we are, and we know that the Spirit of God can change us as we meet in your presence. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly laying at our table this day and each day by day day by day by day oh dear lord three things we pray to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly day by day by day amen amen oh greg that was lovely thank you greg that was interesting too <laughs> i don't know if you've ever felt like that just not sure how to pray well i think as uh, we look this morning jesus teaches us how we should pray 
And, and there's, obviously it's not a model of here are the things you should say, but like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it, it's really a, about your heart condition. It's about where your heart is behind this. And so this morning we're going to talk about four things as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, here's what we're looking at. When you pray, what is your attitude? Where is your heart at? And we're going to spend a lot of time there starting off. When you pray, adore Him. When you pray, accept. Accept what He has. Accept who you are. When you pray, ask. Finally, after we've done all these other things, ask. And so let's look at these things. When you pray, attitude. Now, we want to understand a couple things that Jesus has given this as a model of prayer. Here's how then you should pray, right? Let me read it for you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to, to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Here is the model prayer in which Jesus has given us. When asked the questions, his disciples coming, asking this question about spirituality and prayer, and here is how Jesus tells them we should pray. And there's a lot of truths in here, and if you read through it, it can, it can be difficult at times. Uh, Martin Luther, he said this about the Lord's Prayer. He says, how many pray the Lord's Prayer a thousand times in the course of a year? And yet, if they were to keep on doing so for a thousand more years, they would not have really prayed or tasted it at all. What is he saying? He's telling us there are so many rich truths that can be found in this prayer. And oftentimes we see it, we read it, and we miss it. Tim Keller, talking about the Lord's Prayer, says he called it, basically it's kind of like a minefield, a minefield with treasures all over that you kind of have to navigate and find your way, but you got to be careful. And so we want to look at this and we want to understand that Jesus has given us a model in which to pray, that this isn't, okay, I'm going to take it word for word, but it's a model and we want to see the heart behind what Jesus is telling us. So the first thing we want to understand is attitude. In other words, where is our heart condition? Where is our heart at? There are a few things before we even get to the place of prayer. Now, not, not that we don't want to come to God if, if we feel there's something in our life or we need to do this or that. I'm not saying that at all, but we need to understand our heart condition when we're praying. What I'm saying here is that our heart 
we should have a certain attitude. And like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about action, but it's about our heart condition, isn't it? And now oftentimes, our actions should reflect where our heart condition is at. But this is what Jesus is talking about. Let let me start in verses 5 and 6 here. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love praying standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Here's the reality. Most things we do in the Christian life, and it's not that we intend it to be this way, but most things we do in the Christian life are seen by other people. We come here this morning, and we worship together, and it's seen by other people. Even in our giving, you know, you can look around, and you can see that people are giving. You're going to give to an organization. Someone within the organization is going to see that. If we're going to help the poor, that person is going to see it. One way or another, someone is going to see it. Now, that doesn't stop us from doing it. We want to be cheerful givers and and do all these things, and hopefully we're doing it out of the right heart condition. But praying, as we see in verses 5 and 6, praying in that secret place is different. See, praying in that secret place no one else sees it. So oftentimes, if we want to examine our own life, sometimes people will do these things. They will pray, they will give, they help the poor, all these things so they can either feel better about themselves or try to find right standing with God. They will do it for all these other reasons. But when it comes to praying in the secret place, there can only be one motivation for that because nobody else sees it. Nobody else notices it. And for us to examine where we are in our relationship with God, looking at our secret prayer life is a good place to examine that. If we are praying in that secret prayer life, we're doing it for one motivation, and that is so we can know Him, so we can have a relationship with God. And so for us, if we want to examine our hearts, examine where we are, this is a good place to do it. Where am I in my relationship with God? What does my secret prayer life look like? Do I spend time communicating with Him? Do I spend time talking with Him? Does it exist at all? The people who just want to know God have a significant, a substantial, and a sustained prayer life. Do you? That's the first question I want to leave you with this morning. What, What does your secret prayer life look like? Because it's a reflection of your relationship with God and where that is at. Verse 7 says this, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. The word babbles here, when you see it, the actual word in the Greek is this word of continuous repetition, right? It's kind of a frantic repeating it over and over. It's kind of like when your kids come to you, Dad, give me ice cream. My son yesterday, I told him earlier in the afternoon he could have ice cream. Well, that was a mistake, right? So for the next three or four hours, he's tugging at my shirt, asking when he can have ice cream. But it's this frantic repeating over and over. And see, so when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and when they saw this, they, they felt like, yeah, that, 
that's a good religious activity. And what they're viewing this as is that, yeah, I'm continuing to do, it's performance-based, right? If I continue to do the activities, if I continue to pray, if I continue to go, if I continue to go to the synagogue, I do all these things. If I do them over and over, that God is going to bless me. God's going to answer my request because over and over, I'm there, yeah, I'm going to the synagogue, I'm praying, I'm doing all these things. And so God is surely going to bless me. And so the word babbles here, that's exactly what he's saying, is that it's this repetition, frenetic repetition, over and over and over because it's this religious activity. And because I am religious and because I am continuing in my religious activities, God's going to see it, he's going to answer, and he's going to bless me. And it's performance-based. And what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to take us away from this performance-based mentality, this performance-based life, this performance-based prayer life, and he's trying to take us to a place where it's not about performance, but it's about a relationship with God the Father. And so he wants us to see that. You even go back to verse 5 and we see it, and he, he uses the word hypocrites there. Don't be like the hypocrites. Well, that word actually refers to it actually refers to like actors in a theater. And what he's saying, there'd be actors in a the theater and they, they had that all set up. He's saying, don't be like the actors in a the theater who are doing it, who are performing just so they can be seen. He's saying it's not at all about performance, but it's about relationship. It's about your heart condition. Our attitude, our heart should be that we want to truly know God. That that's why we're entering that secret prayer place. That's why we're asking and petitioning God. It's not about us wanting to get something. And this is where that whole performance thing comes in and what he talks about, the hypocrites who babble on and on because they want something from God. And Jesus is telling us it's not about wanting something from him, but it's about desiring that relationship with him. And that's what he wants us to truly understand. Uh, verse, verse 9, he, he continues on. He says, then, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. This is where it begins. Our Father. The primary thing that Jesus wants us to understand about God is that he is our Father. And there are many names for God. You can look throughout the Bible and we can see all these attributes of who God is. But what Jesus, wants us to point, what Jesus wants to point us to in this prayer is the fact that he is our father. And we're trying to get away from this performance-based to this relationship-based. And I think that's why Jesus is pointing this out, that he is our father, that it is a relationship with him. And if you look at performance versus relationship, taken in a sense of if you have a job, you have a boss most of the time, and let's say this boss. You can have a great relationship with this boss. He could be a great friend. You could have, spend time with him. You can get along great. But if you don't perform, if you continuously don't perform, what's going to happen? You're probably going to lose your job, right? There's that performance-based. That I can have a great relationship with my boss, and I can ask him these things and all these things, but if I don't perform continuously, I'm probably going to lose my job. And you compare that to that role of a father. Now, does a father 
care about performance. I, I do. You know, I coach my son's team, and we will play baseball, and I'll tell you this right now. My son is probably the best player on the team. Right, Dad? He's probably the Okay, all right. So, you know, he's only six, but he's the only guy that can make an out for our team. So if I don't have him at a position, nobody else is going to make an out. So I care about his performance. Now, if my son didn't perform, would that change my love for him at all? No. And so you can see the difference in what Jesus is trying to point us to. We see this performance-based versus relationship-based. We're performance-based, then it comes back on us. Am I going to perform? Am I going to do it? Am I going to carry through? Am I going to do all these things? Because if I don't, well, then surely there's going to be no answer to my prayer. But when we see that he is a father and there is a relationship, then it's not based on my performance. It's all based on that relationship. And it changes everything. And so what Jesus wants to point us to, and the reason he starts the prayer the way that he does, is that he wants us to understand it's a relationship as a father with a child. And you know what? With a father, it doesn't matter how powerful that father is, how wealthy that father is, how dangerous that father is. Can a child always go to their father? Yeah. It doesn't matter the position of the father. The child always has confidence to go to that father. They could come asking for a cup of water in the middle of the night, right? What's the father going to do? Yeah, now, if their spouse asks them for a cup of water, it's probably go get it yourself. But if the child comes, they're probably going to do it because that's the relationship. And what Jesus wants us to point us out, we got a powerful, a wealthy, a dangerous father in God. But we have access and we can have confidence, and we have that relationship that we can go to Him. And so our heart condition, our attitude should understand we are the child, He is the Father, and He loves us. And Jesus wants to point out that relationship aspect of it. Jesus is telling us you can't pray the kind of prayer He is talking about unless it's on family terms. We have that family relationship. He is the father, we are the child. And of course, God is holy. We see it right in here. Hallowed be your name. Of course, he is the king. Your kingdom come. Of course, of course he's all powerful, yet we can still come to him. That's why Jesus starts the way that he does. Jesus in here, he actually has the audacity to say that this great Lord of the universe loves us so much, and he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all of these things, yet we can still come to him. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? What an amazing thing. And Jesus wants us to understand. One more thing uh, as we talk about attitude is that we see in this portion that our attitude, our heart, must be one of forgiveness. And this is key. And we'll see it. And I, I think the language is very strong here. Actually, if you get to the end, listen to the verse 15 on this. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, that, that's pretty strong language there. I don't forgive. My Father won't forgive. It's scary. It's strong. What is he saying here? 
I, I think what he's saying is that someone who is saved by grace, how can we not forgive someone else? See, when, when we look and we see this perfect and holy God and we look at our lives and we understand at some point we have wronged him. We have fallen short. And yet through his son Jesus, he has done an incredible thing. And through his son Jesus, through his son Jesus we can find forgiveness. And as someone who has been forgiven by God through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, how can I not then turn around and forgive someone else? And so what Jesus wants to point us to is, remember, you're a forgiven person. You should live differently because of that. And you should turn around and forgive others because you have been forgiven such a great debt. And so he wants us to understand. He wants us to know that we need to be and have good relationships with other people. If we can't forgive, we don't have the right attitude. We don't have the right heart condition. Our attitude, our heart, when we pray, we need to understand that. The second point is a door. Uh, here, here's what I mean, and, and if you read through this prayer, Jesus has given us a model, but man through the century know that you know, these aren't the only words that we need to pray, right? It's a model for us. But in this model, there's a sense of kind of one, our attitude, but these other aspects of our prayer life that should be there. And adoring is one of them. And what do I mean by that? It, half of this prayer, as we go through it, Half of this prayer is not about me, it's not about my struggles, it's not about my disappointments, it's not about what's going on in my life. Half of this prayer that Jesus is giving and modeling is about who? It's about Him, our Father. It's about adoring, it's about realizing who He is, realizing all His attributes, realizing all of these things about God. There's really nothing we want more than to come to God and say, God, here's my issues, here's what I got, fix this, do this. But what Jesus wants us to understand is the awesomeness of God, the greatness of God, the, all the attributes of God, and just to dive in and be blown away and be dazzled by who He is. And it's such a great place to start in our lives, but in our prayer lives, to start there to realize the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God. And so when we pray, Jesus points us right there. Half of this prayer is about adoring God. Listen to some of the word. We see He's heavenly, our Father in heaven. He's heavenly. He's holy. Hallowed be your name. He's a holy God. He's sovereign and He's kingly. Your kingdom come. But we also see He's a Father. And we see all these amazing attributes of who God is. And there's so much information about God and how great he is, and yet how accessible he is, even in his greatness. How tough he is, and yet how sweet he is. How holy he is, and yet at the same time, how forgiving he is. 
What an amazing thing. And Jesus wants us to realize that when we approach God and we come to God, adore him. Adore him for who he is. Adore him for his attributes and his qualities. And when we begin to do that, it begins to change our heart condition. We realize the greatness of God. Here's the reality. There's nothing more that we want than to come to him with all our issues and all our problems. But there's nothing more that we need than to come to him and just adore who he is. The next one is acceptance, to accept. Uh, as, we, as we look at this, there's a, there's a few things I want us to know. This is to accept who we are in all of this. This is to accept our position in this. Now, if we read through this, we, we know our heart and our attitude should be where it should be at. We know that when we pray, we should adore God and who He is. And we want to, and we're going to see it, we want to begin to ask. But there's something in the middle that we don't want to miss. So it's great, we go to God, and we adore Him, and we, we dive in, and we see all His qualities. But before we begin to ask, there's one more thing that we need to understand. And we don't want to miss this little phrase that says, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. You cannot begin to pray, give me, until you first pray for his will in your life. You must not pray, I need all these things, until you say, you know what I need. Uh, go back. Again, we, we've talked about this performance and this relationship. That it's about a relationship, right? Go back to this idea of a father. Now, I have three kids, and they're nine, and they're six, and they're two. Do I know what's good for them more than they do? Let's hope, okay? Well, the Friday night, we're having a movie night with the family, and we're sitting uh, on the couch watching this movie, and my two-year-old just kind of wanders, does her own thing, you know, whatever. She, we don't really care. Um, and all of a sudden, I, I turn around, and I notice she's at the kitchen sink. And what she had done is she had kind of wandered off. She wandered in the bathroom, grabbed her stool that she uses to wash her hands, carried it into the kitchen, went up to the sink, jumped up on the sink, and reached into the sink. And I turn around, and in her hands is the largest knife that we own. Okay, and I, why anybody needs to own a knife that's this long? And I'm not kidding. This is the size of the knife. It's this thick, and she's holding it in her hand. I don't know why we own a knife. I don't question my wife or afraid she'll use the knife. So here's my two-year-old just standing here looking at me with this huge knife in her hands. And I panic, right? I panic. I leap over the couch. I run. I grab her hand because usually when she gets in trouble, she starts throwing things. So I grab her hand to make sure she doesn't do that and take the knife out of her hand. Now, in her mind, she's got all these toys, but man, look at this thing, Right? This is awesome. So she climbs up on the counter and grabs this knife out of the kitchen sink. Do I know what's better for my daughter than she does? Yeah, it may look all nice and shiny. It may look like something nice to play with. But the father, me, I know better. I know that there is harm. I know that she could get herself into trouble with that. And if you look at that and compare our relationship to God the Father... It is so much infinitely greater with us to our Heavenly Father than me to even my two-year-old. He knows and sees so much more than I do. 
And so many times we think we know what's best for our lives, what should happen in our lives. We want to control it, right? And God, give me this, and God, I want to see this in my life, but who knows more, me or him? And just like my relationship with my daughter, yet it's so much greater with my heavenly father and me. And it's so important to see this little phrase, thy will be done. Jesus here is inviting us to lay down that crushing burden that we think we've got it figured out, that we think that we know what's best, because here's the reality, we don't. He sees so much more, infinitely more. Thy will be done. And when we begin to pray this, you know what, what begins to happen? We begin to change. And I really think the goal in all this is, is God wants to see transformation and change in our life. And when our attitude and our heart condition begins to change, we begin to spend time adoring Him to purge ourselves, to, to, to then jump in and dive into His greatness and all His attributes. And we begin to accept that we are the child. He is the Father. We begin to accept not my will, but your will. We begin to change. Our lives begin to change. Our hearts begin to change. The last thing is ask. Attitude, adore, accept, and then ask. When we have all these things, it's going to change us, and it's going to change our prayer life. I think if you look to the examples of prayer, look to a guy like Paul. If you read through his prayer, Paul's prayers aren't about himself. We, we know he asks things like, hey, remove the thorn in my flesh, and so there is that element. But when you read through his prayers, who's he praying for? He's praying for other people. He's praying that they would know the will of God. He's praying that they would adore God, that they would be blown away by his greatness. He's praying that people would come to know him. Paul's prayers are not inward-focused, are they? See, Paul has understood these things, and it affects and changes his prayer life, and we see it. When we have the right attitude, adore, and accept, it begins to change the way we pray. And so here are a few things that Jesus tells us to ask for. The first one, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. This is God's healing of everything materially and spiritually in the whole world at the end of time. And what Jesus is telling us to pray for, he says, pray for injustice. Pray for peace. Pray for disease. Pray, pray that for the poor. Pray for those in need. Pray for these things. Pray for world peace. These things are good things to pray for. Because God's design is that he is going to heal it and make it whole. And we pray for that, that these things would happen. And that's a broad and a big thing, isn't it? And there's one end of the spectrum. So he says, pray for that, and then what else does he say? Pray for daily bread. Aren't those two ends? Something simple like, what am I going to eat today? Versus world peace. And yet, Jesus says, pray for both. Pray for this, but also for your daily bread. And I think what he means by daily bread, if you go back to when the Israelites were in the wilderness, 
and they were receiving manna from heaven. Every day, God would give them bread. And he says, don't store it up, but today, I'm going to give you your daily bread. And so what I think Jesus wants us to understand is that so often, I think, in life, we begin to hoard and we begin just to store up, and we lose this dependence on God by doing that. And so God wants us to be generous and giving people. And we begin to pray that, that you know, God, hey, I want to be generous and I want to give. And as I pray for these things, God might give me more, and hopefully that would cause me to be more generous and to give more. It comes back to that heart condition. And so as God gives me much, that I would give generously to others. Two more things under the ask, and they're more about asking God to make me, make me something. Two things. One, make me a forgiven person. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I touched on it earlier. But here's the reality, and I'd ask the question, do, do you know what it is to walk around on a daily basis knowing you are forgiven, that you are a forgiven debtor? I think on one hand, it should humble us, right? It humbles us because we know we've been forgiven. And so it, we then can't turn around as I mentioned, because we've been forgiven so much, we can't turn around and judge someone else because we have been forgiven so much. And on the other hand, we shouldn't walk around feeling bad, feeling like, oh man, I can't do it. I can't measure up. I can't do all these things. We can't do this or that. So on both aspects of it, we, we shouldn't feel like we're too great, yet we shouldn't feel like we're too low either. Live as a forgiven person. The other one would make me a person who can handle trials and difficulties. Verse 13 says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, make me the kind of person that when I face trials, then instead of giving in, man, I can turn to him. I can rely on him. Lead me, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Attitude, adore, accept, and ask. The uh, band is going to come back up, and we're going to lead into a time to remember Jesus. Here's what I want to leave you with, though. I want to answer the question of how can I be this type of person? How can I be the type of person that Jesus is referring to as he's modeling and he's showing us this then is how you should pray? Well, how can I do it? And here's the answer to that. Because he did. He has shown us. Not only did Jesus tell us how we should pray, but in the garden... He modeled this same prayer. If you look at that, and you would look at every other religion in the world, there's God, and we got to pray to God because he's God, and we are human. But we have a God who became weak, and he prayed just like us. And in the garden, he asked, may, may this cup pass from me. 
but not my will, right? Your will be done. And Jesus, just like he told us, showed us. And now we, we can pray to surrender our lives because he prayed to surrender for you. Surrender to the cross for you. And we can pray, thy will be done, because he prayed that same thing in the garden. Thy will be done. His circumstances far worse than ours. The cup he had to bear far more than what we do. And so when we look to his life and all those little cups and all those little trials and all those little tribulations, we can look to him because he bore it. He went to the cross. He prayed. He surrendered. He said, thy will be done. If you can see Jesus Christ and at the end of his life, pray this prayer. It's going to help you enter into prayer. And it is going to change you. It is going to change your heart. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you. God, we thank you for this prayer that Jesus has modeled for us. Not only did he tell us how to pray, but he showed us how to pray. He lived it. And God, now we, with this great example of Jesus Christ, we look to pray the same way. God, that you would change our heart. You would change our attitude. God, that we would spend our life adoring you, the greatness of God. God, that we would accept that you are the father, we are the child, you know best, and not our will, but your will. And then God, help us to ask that you would make us someone who lives forgiven. God, that you would begin to show us what it is to ask for daily bread and to live that way. That we begin to ask for your kingdom come and live that way. God, ultimately, we thank you for Jesus because we can pray this way because he prayed this way. We can pray this way because he went to the cross and gave us access to you. God, we thank you for Jesus. Help us this morning and in our lives to worship him, to thank him, to love him. Now, as we take the bread and the juice, we want to remember this great thing that you've done for us in his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. A new covenant because of the work of Jesus. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing it out, church, when he comes. speaking in Matthew 6 showed us two models one of performance 
one of relationship, one of technique, and one of friendship. And, and so as we pray, may we see that he modeled it. He not only told us, but he modeled it for us. And may we have a, a substantial, sustained prayer life, secret prayer life, because of what he has done, because he showed us. He told us, he showed us, and ultimately, he provided that way in which we could come to God. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing one more song together. God, we, we thank you for Jesus, who showed us how to pray by, by telling and by doing it. And God, as we look and we evaluate our own life, may we have a prayer life not based on performance, but based on relationship, not based on some technique or way, but based on our friendship with God. God, help us to have sustained and substantial secret prayer lives. God, may we seek to know you. May we seek to adore you. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name.